suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, mark that in your Bible too. He turned to the woman, but spoke to Simon. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have all been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. John chapter 4 says this. The hour coming is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The last two weeks I had the privilege of talking to you about praise. That we are instruments designed to offer praise. In the same way we have made instruments to offer different sounds. God has sculpted our lives and brought us through different situations and scenarios and different upbringings. So that we all might bring a different sound in a perfect harmony. God is not looking for conformity in our praise. He's looking for a uniformity where we all come together with a different sound, but making his praise glorious. I talked to you about the idea that God does not make his praise glorious by being here. We, God does not descend to our praise. We ascend with our praise and our effort, our passion, our um, soul crying out to him is what makes it glorious. It's the heart that it comes from. And praise is always vocal. Unoffered praise is only an opinion. And we don't offer God opinions. We offer him praise. Praise ye the Lord. I told you, praise him in the sanctuary. Praise him among the righteous saints. Praise him. And we even brought up, y'all remember Leanne up here on the drums? And she was trying to play like Andy played. And I gave you the idea that we can't make someone else's praise glorious. And we let someone else praise for us. In the place of our instrument, it doesn't sound good. It only sounds good when we offer the Lord our praise. Well, worship is always grouped together with praise and worship. But they're two totally different things. Nature can praise the Lord. Praising the Lord for who he is and what he's done. Unbelievers can praise the Lord. They can praise the Lord for their blessings. They can shout the fame of God watching a sunrise or a sunset. Praise is made glorious by the, the more expressed it is and the louder it is and the more exuberance it's given. But worship doesn't have to be that way. Worship can be unuttered. It is a heart breaking open, pouring out the inner contents of it unto God. 
He reads the tears and knows what they mean. He knows expressions when we grab our heart. Worship. This woman came in on this religious meeting where they were talking, obviously, to Jesus. I'm sure they were questioning him. Most Pharisees were questioning him, trying to trip him up. There might have been dialogue about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But there was no worship until she got there. I've heard preachers use this story and say, this is how you produce, this is what God wants uh, every believer doing in a worship service. Well, it wasn't orchestrated. It wasn't at a certain key, at a certain place. It was a soul that said, I came to do this and I can't contain what I brought anymore. And it just broke forward or broke forth Upon the Lord. May I pray this morning for, for me? And if you would pray for me as well today. Lord, I just humble myself before you today. I, I don't feel real strong today. I don't feel particularly anointed today. And I've done this long enough to, to know that if I'll humble myself before you. And tell you that I don't trust in myself at all. That I just ask that you would use me this morning for your glory in spite of myself. I know that you've got a word for this house, O oh Lord, and I don't want my insecurities or my insufficiencies to be in the way. And so I thank you in advance, O oh Lord, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit that you'll quicken me and quicken my mind and my soul so that I can impart this truth that you've given me deep into the hearts of those that you love so very much. I thank you, Lord, for your great patience with people like me. I say this often in this church, and it's true. If I was you, I'd have threw me away a long time ago. But I'm grateful that I'm not you and that your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. And I thank you in advance for the power that's going to come from the received word. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want to share with you is this. There are many places where Jesus is welcome, but he's not worshipped. If you're taking notes, there are many places where Jesus is welcomed, but not worshipped. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Look at the place, the Pharisee's home. He didn't invite him to his home for intimacy's sake, like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but it was a social event. And prestigious people would bring in rabbis or men of the hour, a Gamaliel, if you will, and they would sit them in the middle, reclined at these tables on one elbow, and the common people would be inside the courtyard or outside the walls just listening in. It brought him status, like a church that'll bring in some contemporary artist, and the church will swell with people because they had the contemporary artist. Or, you know, you give away Chick-fil-A sandwiches, and then you have 700 people on Sunday morning and then you got 150 the next week, and you realized 550 people like Chick-fil-A, that kind of thing. You know, they, uh, but it wouldn't be on Sunday because Chick-fil-A is not open on Sunday. I have to use something else. Okay. But he brought Jesus in, and it wasn't so much come into my home as he was, Jesus was a buzzword, if you will. Not everybody uh, believed in him, but he was very popular. And so this Pharisee brought him over 
for that, this reason. He, you know, he was open to association, open to interaction, maybe some instruction, but we'll do it on his terms. Home field advantage, if you will. His house, his food, eating what he chose when he chose to serve it. Compare this to the people who went into open fields and sat under Jesus' teaching all day without food or drink. This Pharisee will later find out because time always reveals everything you need to know. He wasn't looking to know Jesus. He was just okay with Jesus being in the room. You can tell this by his posture. He met Jesus at the door. They, many historians will tell you different greetings that they used and greetings change. What was cool in the 70s is not cool and then used to be the high five, low five and now that's not cool and then we do elbows and that's not cool and then fist bump and then blow up and call somebody and all these different <laughs> greetings. But one thing is the same. The Pharisee met Jesus at the door and the worshiper met him at the floor. You can tell a lot about this man by his posture. Now, there is examples all through the Bible of standing in the presence of the Lord worshiping. But you ought to be just as comfortable at the floor as you are standing at the door with Jesus. This Pharisee greeted the Lord. But this other woman was overwhelmed with the Lord. Look at his pride. He was interested in Jesus, but he was not in awe of him. Oh, does that describe so many church people? They're cool with Jesus. They're just not in awe with him. When Jesus began, he said, Simon, I want to tell you a parable. The Son of God calls his name. I want to tell you a parable. Say on. He missed out on some home training somewhere years ago. And he goes, teacher, say on. You can tell when you talk to people about the Lord or something from the Lord, and it's just so flippant to them. And if you'll bear with me, I'm giving you some introduction before we get into the worship part, because the Lord recorded the story, but he, because he compared two people. One was at home with Jesus being there, and somebody else wanted to be in his home, in his soul, in his heart. There was no awe. Do you understand you came into this house this morning to lift the inside of your hands to a living God that knows you, intimately acquainted with you? It's not as well the Lord ought to be glad I showed up. Stay home. Do us all a favor. Stay home. I get to preach. This old drunk gets to be a preacher. John, I have a parable I want to tell you. It makes you want to fall like a dishrag and say, you going to talk to me? That the Lord talks to people like us? We come to church. I love meeting people in the foyer. I say, good morning. Ooh, I'm expecting. I'm expecting. Not John. Not a sermon. Because somewhere in my weak attempts of preaching, the Lord is going to say, I have something to say to you. And it's not say on. It's like, Say on, I'm ready. I'm alive at the thought of hearing from you. I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. Speak on to me, oh God. Look at his pride. You could sense his pride and how he saw others more clearly than he saw himself. She's a sinner. Be careful of those people that keep up with everybody else and don't know the condition of their own soul. Ooh, I hit something then, didn't I? 
You could see his pride in how he saw Jesus as someone that he could accept instead of thinking of himself as one that Jesus might possibly accept. You could hear pride in his words, calling him teacher, using the phrase say on. And then when Jesus said, which one uh, would love more? He said, I suppose the other one. You can tell people's prides by the words they use to God and how they talk about God. You could identify with his pride in his refusal to repent after seeing the truth about himself. He wasn't saying that this woman loved more because she was a horrible sinner. It's that she understood the grace applied to their life. God was not applauding a sinful life. He was letting Simon know, you don't feel your sins forgiven because they're not. Worship flows from the person that sees God, receives God, accepts the grace of God, and then just falls at his feet and says, why would you love somebody like me? God, I want to thank you. You could feel his pride as he and others at the table did not have the capacity to rejoice in God's grace that had been given to this woman. Why wasn't he celebrating when he heard your sins are forgiven? Why wasn't he jumping up and down saying, look at the grace of God on display because he had the older brother syndrome. When we see the father throw a coat around one and put a ring on his finger and kill the fatted calf, he goes, you ain't never did it for me. You can tell how close you are to God when you, when you cry at what he cries about and when you're happy at what he's happy about. And this Pharisee saw this woman with a horrible history receive grace and not only did it not move him, he disdained it. So I just gave you this and people are going, Lord, this is heavy. It's pulled down, but we're about to go back up. It's good. I was showing you the backdrop of what worship isn't. So you'll see what it is. All right. This woman's worship had many distinctive traits. This woman knew who Jesus was. She knows who Jesus is. As you are born again and you read your word and you hear sermons and you hear songs about God and every time the diamond turns and you catch another glimpse of Jesus you are made more aware of who he is as he's revealed himself to you in his word you come into the awareness he's my provider he's my protector he's the Lord my righteousness he's my peace he's my healer he's my help my hope my source my strength my fortress fortress he's he's the God I trust One of the reasons we don't worship is because our eyes aren't focused on the object. Because if it's focused on the object and you see him, worship flows from the one that sees him. And she came in that courtyard and she went, there he is. She had her eyes focused on the object. There he is. This woman recognized that Jesus was near, accessible, and available. There is much to be said for private worship. There's nothing like it. And there are things I experience in private with the Lord that I can never experience in public. Amen? But there are things in public. I get to honor him, not for you to see, but in your sight. You get to watch me abase myself 
in front of him. Many times on Sunday, I'll be standing on the front row worshiping. And he said, humble yourself before me. And sometimes I'll lay on my face and he said, "Mm mm-mm, more. So I take my coat off and humble myself before him. And there's a fine line between trying to be seen and the part that says, no, this is on display. I'm not the issue. He's the, and this woman understood that when she come into this arena, and I'll get to this in just a moment, she's going to make herself very, very vulnerable. But she came and she knew that Jesus was nearby. When I come into this room, you may not have this experience. I feel the Lord almost every Sunday. I know he's here. And so when you know he's near, it starts to do things to you internally. It starts to arouse things and wake things up inside of you. This worship is not hindered or enhanced by environment, though. Worship is not hindered nor advanced or enhanced. So if the worship service is really, really good, we say worship's better. No, it's not. It's easier. It's not better. Worship is never made better by someone else. That is worth the price of admission this morning. My worship was not made better because of the beautiful effort of the people on this team. It's easier because we're all coming together corporately and there's power in numbers. But this woman came in this, you think, you think it's hard sometimes to worship in church on Sunday. Imagine her worship service. She walked in, she's like, oh, they've lined the walls with demons in here today. Sometimes you got to move from your row. You know, you got to, this row ain't conducive to what I want to do today. I need to move. But see, we have this idea that if everything goes right and everything goes smooth and we play a certain style, then worship advances. Wrong. Worship is made easier by a collective effort, but not better. So all you need is you to worship. This worship has more to do with your heart than your history or your heritage. Jesus had said about this woman, many sins, many sins. A lot of commentators believe that she was a harlot through other writings that were written. The scripture doesn't say that right here, so I don't say that. But when Jesus says many sins, that's many sins. He sees it all. And we feel hindered because of our track record. And an unconfessed track record does hinder. But worship does not flow from how well I've lived. It flows from how deep I love. And this woman showed us that if she can do it in the worst of environment, we ought to be way out here in the best of environments. Look further with me. This worship was humble. It came up behind him kneeling. And this worship makes you vulnerable to the gaze, opinions, disdain, and malignment of others. Some of you are hindered in this house of worshiping because of what someone might think or say. May I address that? Are you really at a place in your Christian life where you'd withhold it 
for the opinion of someone that probably wasn't thinking about you anyway? Or where their opinion doesn't matter? What you got to be careful of is when churches organize and manipulate worship. When you walk in a place and everyone's worshiping the same way, you walk in, the first chord hits, and everybody's got a kangaroo spirit. Everybody. Up on their feet. Wham! Everybody's jumping. Or you walk in and every single person's hands are raised. Or you walk in and nobody's hands are raised. What they've been taught is you're accepted to us if you, with the cookie cutter, do this and stand this way and sing this way and we'll send signals if you're outside of what we'd like. Well, as pastor of this church, you want me to tell you what I believe it should look like and what I pray for it to look look like? All various types. The son will just walk out and Mariana will take her two steps and she'll just dance before the Lord. And another person will go off to the side. See, they're not trying to get to the front under the spotlight. There just ain't room to do what I got to do, you know. And somebody else will walk off to the side and they'll just lay before the Lord. And someone else will come and just kneel. And the other person will just pace and say, I love you today. I love you today. That is not out of order. Worship is order. It is order. Now, if someone gets out of line and comes and, you know, grabs a mic and the Lord laid a song upon my heart, we got big ushers. We can handle those people. But to worship this way, you've got to be vulnerable. Because when you step out and do it, carnal people are going to have an opinion. That's just fanatical. You know what fanatic means? It means that somebody else loves Jesus more than you do. I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender this morning. I'm going to make everybody mad. And I've seen the other. I've seen the showy part. But I've been a Christian now 25 years, and I'm telling you my honest, humble opinion. For every one of those I see, I see 500 that don't offer nothing. And for our church, I want to make ourselves vulnerable. And whether this is how you're used to me worshiping or not, I'm going to turn it up a notch because I want to empty my heart out before him. And I want him to know. I don't want the service to end without him knowing how I really feel about him. That's what worship is. So praise, the more you can do it, the better. Worship, the realer you can do it, the better. Now, here, here's the balance. There's some of our churches, Protestant churches, that will hire unbelievers to play or lead music and and do all of this stuff. And I don't have time to get into all of it, but I will tell you this. There's one thing for someone to hit on a drum and play along with me while we sing. But an unbeliever can't worship. They can praise. But they can't worship. Because they must worship in spirit. That's the dead part of me that come to life in new birth. And that spirit that was dead is now alive. And from it flows the awareness of my new birth. The cost of his sacrifice. The power of his resurrection. And that does not flow through an unbeliever. So you can't hire an unbeliever to lead you into something he can't even see. It's got to come from inside of you.
This worship is desperate. Desperate because of the awareness of my forgiven sins. Desperate because of my gratitude. Desperate because of my love for him. Have you ever been frustrated with limited giftings? Anybody besides me? I heard Dr. Mark Rutland speaking here a couple of Saturdays ago. And every time I hear someone like that, two things happen to me. I want to preach right then, right when he's done, and I don't ever want to preach again. It's like being a woodworker and you've made a little duck, you know. You've made your little duck and he's built this castle, you know. And you go, uh, yeah, about that. And we get frustrated with our giftings and someone else plays and sings at this level and we play and sing at this level or teach at this level. Well, let me tell you about worship. Dead even. Dead even. Worship does not flow from giftedness. Worship flows from gratitude. And you can out-worship anybody you choose to. You can be strong in this. You can be free in this if you'll assault your pride. You can pour your love upon the Lord. Worship is purposed and intentional. It said she brought her perfume with her. I'm not going to stay long because that's self-explanatory. She come to the meeting. She came to the meeting with it under her arm. Do you, do you see? They came hungry. She came full. How do you come to church? How are you doing this morning? Lord, I'm kicking. I'm kicking. Like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Lock me in the trunk. What did you bring with you today? I can promise you this. I've never gave him anything I didn't bring. It's how we come to the house. We don't just kickstart it when we get here. We come with, and I'm going to thank you for this. And thank you for my babies when I get there too. And for my wife and my home and my health. And Lord, when I get there, I can't hardly get in the door for what I brought with me. Our worship services are anemic because we come with nothing in our hand. But when you come with something in your hand, your whole row can be dead. And you can just break open box after box after box and pour your thankfulness on the Lord. It's intentional. It's purposeful. You know, some wor- worship pastors got it hard, man. They'll, they'll go into a church and it's like people are sitting there with their arms crossed. Mm-hmm. What you, what you got for me, doc? It's like clear. <laughs> You're trying to bring people back. Clear. I don't think this works. Turn it up, Clarence. Turn it up. <laughs> and one thing I've appreciated so much over the years about Leanne and others, especially Leanne that worked, led worship here, is if you got to rev it, it ain't real. It ought to flow. We ought to be excellent. It ought to be powerful. We ought to have the best of equipment, but it ought to be coming from what you brought with you. Intentional worship. Purposeful worship. This worship is extravagant, expensive perfume. You know, you've read the stories. Almost all commentators agree that this was worth a year's salary of a Roman soldier. I used to be more extravagant with the Lord than I am. Isn't that embarrassing? I used to be more extravagant with the Lord. 
And you can say, you know, I can use your excuse. You can use mine. Well, now I got a wife and I got kids and stuff. No. I used to be more extravagant with my gratitude and my praise and my, my worship and my thankfulness and my service. And while others would chime in, what a waste. Isn't that such a waste? Yeah, it is. And we would just pour it on the Lord. Isn't it a waste to be exiled into some South Georgia town preaching to a handful of people that don't want you there? Yeah, it is. Isn't it a waste to have your earned master's degree and earned doctorate and you're watching four kids in your house that Jesus wouldn't watch? Isn't that a waste? <laughs> yes, it is. What gives dignity to that pastor, that unwelcomed pastor in his church? What gives dignity to that woman? I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for the Lord. For the Lord. And pour it out upon him. This worship is not interested in getting around it or giving just enough or getting done or getting something back, but getting it all out, making sure God knows exactly how we feel. This worship cannot be separated from emotion, deep emotion. In fact, the clearer you see what God's done for you, the deeper the emotions are stirred. They are linked together. I can't think of him being beaten and his beard pulled out and whipped to the point of disfigurement and not be stirred with gratitude. Our problem is not an unwillingness to sing. Our problem is a spiritual blindness that will not allow us to see what wonderful things God has done for us. This worship is inside out, not outside in. I love it that it said that her tears fell on his feet. See, in, in this area, when someone would come into your home, their open sandals would be covered. Their feet would be covered with sweat and grime. And they would offer water from a basin, from a well, and they would pour it over their feet and clean their feet. Simon didn't even offer the basics. But this woman didn't bring water from a well. She brought water from her well. And from inside of her, do you see this? It come out and washed his feet. Filthy feet. Precious feet. And we, if we're not careful, we'll get caught in the trap of doing a worship service and using water from our natural giftedness and say, how is that Jesus? And we just pour the water over his feet. And he's looking. Scripture's clear. He's looking for the one that will not bring water from this world. But water from this world out. And it pours on his feet. And the father seeketh. Seeketh. Looketh. Searching for the one that will worship him. From their spirit. And in truth, according to the word of God, from a consecrated life, but from the inside out. Worship is not outside in. It's not me playing long enough and loud enough for you to feel it and then you start. Wrong. That's called music. How many of you know that music has a feel to it, a spirit to it? I can be in my car and the, the, the radio be on or something and Aretha Franklin hit a high note. You go, oh, Jesus. 
You think it, it feels like. That's not Jesus. That was Aretha. That's not Jesus. And so music can stir you emotionally. It's not the same thing. Because that's outside in. This is revelation, insight, familiarity, sonship, gratitude from the inside out. Poured upon the Lord. That's worship. Let me read some of these to you. Water for his feet was supposed to come from a well. Tears, from his, tears for his feet came from a woman. Worship for his feet, water for his feet, I'm sorry, was the law. Tears for his feet was love. Water for his feet was common. Tears for his feet was captivating. Water for his feet was the social thing to do. Tears for his feet was the sober thing to do. Water for his feet was expected. Tears for his feet was exposing. Water for his feet could be done by proxy. Tears for his feet had to be done in person. Water for his feet could be robotic. Tears for his feet flowed from her soul. Water for his feet was a sign of hospitality. Tears for his feet was a sign of wholeness. Water for his feet showed responsibility. Tears for his feet showed repentance. Water for his feet spotlighted the servant. So if someone met him at the door and knelt down and did the water, everybody go, oh, what a good servant. Tears for his feet put the spotlight on the Savior. Which water do you use? Simon didn't use either. Most hosts would use water from a basin. But he's looking for water from inside of us. This worship is affectionate. Kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. It was about giving Jesus all that was in her heart. These tears are where I got the title from my message. Heart water. Worship involves heart water. This worship is humble. She's wiping them with her hair. So get the picture. We're almost done. We'll be done in just a moment. Get the picture. She comes in. Jesus is reclining. Generally, the commentators agree they would lay on their left arm and eat with their right hand. So his feet were extended this way. And she came up behind him. And she knelt at his feet. And the tears just flowed from her. And she unloosened her hair, which was as, as disdaining as being a prostitute in public because once a woman was married, they never saw her in, in this culture with her hair down again. And she loosened her hair and wiped the filth of his feet with her tears and her hair. The woman's hair is her glory. And she said, I'll take my glory and make it nothing and worship you. And she began to kiss these feet. So Jesus, if he's reclining, She's pulling his leg up and bending down. What a spectacle this is. Her face is covered in mud. Her hair is knotted with mud. And she could care less. Where did this grace come from? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I believe I know right before that, if you're reading a harmony of the Gospels, Jesus was preaching on hillsides and in towns. He said, if any of you are tired and weary, come unto me and drink. You'll find rest to your soul. And I believe in the anonymity of a crowd. 
she believed on Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And great grace filled her heart because sinners don't come to worship. She didn't receive forgiveness then. She already had it. And she exchanged her glory. This is what worship is. Exchanging your so-called glory for his glory. The humbling of a person so that Jesus might be the focus of attention. I'll tell you this. Before this, he was one in the crowd. He might have been the highlight guest, but he was one in the crowd. When this started, all eyes were on who? Jesus. We spotlight the Lord with our worship. This worship fills the house. If our worship team would come, please. This story is not about how sinful this woman's life was, but how beautiful her worship was. Stay with me. Look this way. This story is not about how sinful her life was, but how beautiful her worship was. There's several stories of people washing Jesus' feet. Mary breaking an alabaster box and pouring it upon his head. But this woman's I identify with more because I lived more like the prostitute than I did Mary, the brother, the sister of Lazarus. Unexpected, unworthy, um, unofficial. But she came in and worshipped him. Ben, if you go ahead and just play for me, buddy. She knew what she was going to do when she got there. And she knew what the reaction was going to be. But she wanted Jesus to know how she felt. Might have been her only time. And listen, this is not fear tactics. What if this is our last time before we get to heaven? She said, I may never get to see the Son of God again. And when she walked in, I believe she didn't come in slinking. I believe she had the glory of grace on her face with deep humility. And she come up behind him, nodding at everybody that had an opinion. And she's thinking, I didn't come here for you. I didn't come here for you. And she broke that vase, that costly vase. Can I speak to this about cost? Some of us are in very impossible situations. It's hard. Great loss, great betrayal, great abandonment, great neglect, abuse, all those things. We've all experienced it. One of the things my dad did, if you'd grant me a quick story here, I did not appreciate it at 10, but oh, do I appreciate it at 51. I remember seeing him towards the end of his battle with cancer. 6'1", 135 pounds, he looked like a POW. And he was sitting up in a hospital bed. And I was either on my way in or in the hallway. I can't remember. But I remember looking in his hospital room. And he asked the nurse, he said, Darling, would you, would you bring that little pulley for me? And she brought the little triangle thing across his bed. And he said, would you, would you help me get my arm up here? And she pulled his arm up. And he hooked it, his wrist through it. And he said, thank you. And when she left... I watched my daddy say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I just bless you. You know what he did? He broke it and said, just drying up. Uh, bless. 
the name of your God. And it filled the room. It, see, when you worship, it stains the inside of the walls of your home. It fills the room. It, there's, a, there's an aroma to it. It's not how loud. Praise is loud. Worship ain't loud. It's real. If it ain't real, it ain't worship. You could tagline the sermon. If it's not real, it's not worship. And you can't give mine for me. See, my dad's arm, I can't, I, that's his. I got mine. He worshiped. Why would you want to settle for touching Jesus' hand when you can touch his heart? Y'all are so gracious to allow this aging minister to travel back in time. And when this song came out a hundred years ago, I never wept harder in my life at hearing a song one time. You ever had to just hear it the first time and it's like your gut spill out on the floor? I'm like, that is me, my God. So I want to play that. And some of you will identify and if you want to worship along with me, that's wonderful. But I want to pour out oil on him. And then we're going to sing a corporate song together of worship unto the Lord. So is that okay with you? John, would you turn that on for us?
Church family, would you stand with me this morning? I've never done this before, but I'm going to do it today. <laughs> You're okay. You're safe. You remember that story when God had granted the Old Testament saints the victory and the prophet took the arms of the king and he said, shoot the arrow. It's the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And he just shot it one time and he said, smite it against the ground. Because the Lord's given you the victory. And he just, yeah. And the prophet said, you shouldn't have done it like that. Because now you're only going to get a little bit of victory over your enemies. You should have beat the ground till you passed out. You should have just done it over and over and over and over. And blessed the Lord. But now your victory is limited based upon your actions. And I haven't got this out of a book or out of a sermon. But by faith. I break the lid on the jar of this church. I just break it. I just break it by faith. Lord. Grant it for us, O oh Lord. Lord, we're not looking for the best or the loudest, but the realest. I pray that you would, oh God, just do in our hearts what needs to be done. And may this song be the christening moment, I pray. The first song of this new chapter in the life of this church, that we would pour our oil upon Jesus Christ, the Lord. 
Guys, lead us into this song, please.
you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you take the person beside you? Would you take their hand, please, as we close in prayer? Sometimes I'll go and listen to a sermon and I'll say, oh, I wasn't as clear as I thought I was. So I want to give this tagline so that we don't miss today. I'm not trying to sculpt how we worship. I just want us to worship. Just corporately. And the good thing about the difference between your alabaster box and hers, once it's broken and poured out, hers is gone. You have rivers of living water inside of you. This is just the duck work. Your heart can continue. Amen. Father, we just bless you this morning. We bless your son. We welcome your Holy Spirit to fill our lives and our homes and our marriages and our kids. Lord, often we feel like we're groping in, along the wall in darkness sometimes, searching after you. But Lord, look down on our heart and see if we're not trying to get there. Thank you, Lord, that people like us can worship someone like you. Teach us how to be worshipers, to offer the worship that brings joy to your heart. That's it. I, I just want to bring pleasure to your heart, Lord. I thank you for this local body of believers. I thank you for what you're doing in us and going to be through us. Jesus, you're the focal point of everything here. It begins with you. It's carried on by you and it finishes in you. May your name be glorified in this house through our praise and our worship. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Saints, would you give God shout of the morning, would you? Praise the Lord! Yeah!